So here we are back on with Metanoia. And this is the Religious Trauma Podcast. My name is Angel. I do hope you're doing well. And I'm back. I'm ready to talk a little bit and hopefully be helpful to you and also to myself. You know, sometimes when I talk, I sort myself out and I really um, find value in this for myself. And I really hope that it's valuable for others. And today I want to talk a little bit about personality and trauma and how our personalities can potentially be the most well, misunderstanding our personalities can be probably one of the most detrimental things to our overall uh, growth. Could be detrimental to us in a way where it's co-creating trauma. So if you look at yourself in the mirror, and and I don't mean the physical mirror, I just mean the metaphorical mirror of really taking some time to analyze yourself. And, and this is something I've done myself. It's not something that I'm would ask anyone to do. And the most important thing for me is being able to also live this out, live this growth, um, nurturing this growth in me, because, you know, the most important thing to understand about growth, first and foremost, is that growth is nurtured. You can't just decide to grow. um, And then you grow, you nurture growth. And so personality seems to be um, just very much the same. It's very much the same as you start with low resolution, uh, biological motivations. You don't really have a true uh, uh, formation or organized consciousness yet. So when you're a baby and you have a consciousness, but it takes words. Words help formulate the consciousness into what we know, until we know into what it is known as today. Like it's the awareness of self, the world, other people that touch, feel sensitivity. There's so many definitions to it, but even when you get to like someone like Sir Roger Penrose, uh, he's a man who, who is a mathematician and he talks about consciousness and how um, when you look at consciousness from a mathematical perspective, you can you have to almost conclude that a person is born with low resolution traits like it's not just that you are a product of your environment and that we are just assigning value to to things that are happening and we're just putting random words and then because they stick or because the language is already formulated that that's what it is because even when you go through multiple multiple cultures, multiple languages, you kind of find the same things within people, and it, it really it really isn't something that just is applied. You know, it's not truly just applied. So you start off, you and I, we start off as these low resolution um, creatures, and as we grow, um, those motivations start to show. You know, um, whether and those motivations can look like something like we have to put words to it. So uh, they can be characterized as like extroversion or neuroticism. Um, those are just two of many ways to explain personality. But um, the reason I mentioned those two is because there's a man by the name of Jeffrey Allen Gray who helped 
understand uh, two systems of the brain and one is BIS and one is BAS. So the BIS is the behavioral inhibition system. And then the BAS is the behavior activation system. And so you, the activation system has more to do with dopamine and the inhibition has more to do with serotonin. And the inhibition uh, formulates into character, into, into, I don't want to say character, I mean, um, a personality trait that can be best worded um, and it has been worded through a factor analysis of words. So words were just basically assorted. They took good and evil out. So there's not this like judgment about what's being said. And uh, when they did the factor analysis of the words and one word that pops out is neuroticism, which is uh, correlated to the BIS. Uh, and it's not correlated uh, directly, but it's the best word to describe, one of the best words to describe what is happening with the BAS and it's the charge of the charge up of negative emotion. And then, and so I, I'm integrating a lot of different studies. So we're talking about biology, neuroscience, theology. Um, this isn't just a one lane conversation I'm having where I'm just talking about it from a psychological perspective. It's a full perspective. So, you know, I'm not going to go into the, the nook and crannies and details of every little thing. But I'm just going to try to give you an overall understanding of, of how personality uh, affects trauma. So the BIS is, is, can be looked at as something like neuroticism. And neuroticism can be defined in many different ways. Uh, but the best way to define it is, is how you experience it. And, and, and that's just my opinion. But I think that's the best way to describe it. And it's that you're charged up by negative emotion. Okay, So you are sensitive to negative emotion. And emotion itself, like there's many definitions, but emotions are complex because they're they're physiological, meaning in your body you have uh, sensations, and then also you have thoughts, and and you have uh, language structures wrapped around certain feelings that you end up having in your body. And so, extroversion is more associated with the uh, BAS, the behavioral activation system, and extroversion is something like being sensitive to positive emotion. So um, being sensitive to positive emotion to an extreme can potentially make you manic. Uh, being charged by negative emotion to an extreme can, can make you depressed and, and it'll be in ways you cannot control, you know? And it, let's just say you have both. It can look something like if you're charged up by negative and positive emotion, it can look something like uh, bipolar because you, you can't have both active at the same time. So what ends up happening is a supercharge up of negative emotion. And then uh, um, somehow that dissipates. There's a whole process in that, I'm pretty sure. And then positive emotion jumps in. And so you, have you ever seen people go through emotions pretty fast? You know, and that's kind of what that looks like. So here's the thing is that when you're, when you're an extrovert, you have really powerful traits that could take you far in life. And then when you're neurotic, it also has a powerful trait. It's a self-awareness trait. And so like you think about someone who's very threat sensitive when you think about neuroticism. And so neuroticism can correlate to things though, unfortunately, like obesity, like depression. And, and oftentimes it can be unexplained, you know? And so let's just say you are born with low resolution, uh, right? Um, you're already high neuroticism and you're already high in extroversion. We'll just make them both high. 
Because the thing is, if they're not high, if, they, if you're not super sensitive, you're kind of just more, um, it's not that you're, if you're like low in, po- in, in sensitivity to positive emotion, it doesn't mean you are uh, negative. And if you're low in sensitivity to negative emotion, it doesn't mean you're positive. So, and these are two separate circuits that kind of, that basically regulate this, right? Um, they're different circuits and they're, and they activate in their different systems and they activate at different times. But it's pretty understood in the psychological community how these things work. And unfortunately, it can affect things like your serotonin and dopamine. And so you end up having to feel things, go through things that you don't always understand, that you don't always have words for. And when you're going through these things and don't have words to put behind it, it can really draw you into a place of confusion, especially if you're an intelligent person. If you're an intelligent person, but you don't understand these feelings and emotions and these uh, systems, um, it's not that you need to understand the systems to get along in life. You can have a low abstract way of understanding them where it's like you just know, okay, I'm sensitive to negative emotion or I'm sensitive to positive emotion. So if you're sensitive to positive emotion to an extreme, it can make you impulsive. It can make you feel like manic. It can it, it can translate to something like mania. And now here's the thing. People who are high in the behavior, who have high sensitivity in the behavior activation system, more than likely, most often have more dopamine circuits in the brain, which can make them potentially addictive, uh, addicted to things. So uh, I've seen it where people are, um, either super addicted and don't know how to get out. And so they'll have alcohol, they'll include something like alcohol in their life. Um, the alcohol, the, the incentive reward dopamine system activates, uh, as you reach for the alcohol bottle and you, you begin to drink, right. And then you're, you're very high in positive emotion. And so at times you may feel like you can't focus and, 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 and so you drink and then it kind of mellows you out. And so you're able to focus for a short period of time um, until you become inebriated or drunk, right? And the thing about that is that makes you correlate your dopamine release with the bottle of alcohol. And then whatever toxic behaviors that you begin to indulge in while you're drinking or whatever traumas you have that you kind of like reminisce on or or remember can become associated with the drink and therefore you drink to remember and you remember to drink you know you remember your pain and then it triggers the the the, the desire to drink and then you you drink and it and it triggers the desire to remember because what it's doing is pr- putting you in a in a patterned state and so like for someone like me I'm high in extroversion I'm a 99 percentile extrovert Um, according to the big five scientific model. And this means I'm highly susceptible to drug and alcohol abuse because I have a high tolerance naturally. More dopamine receptors means I need something big to satiate me, to to, to fulfill. And I didn't drink or smoke until I was about 27. So going through my life, you're kind of like, well, how did I survive without being addicted sooner? And, and and this is cool that I actually went through this, like personally, is that I was very addicted to um, a high sense of morality where I was living in a state where 
I had disciplines and I was organized and I wore suits and I put myself together and I showed up in the world and I and I preached and I and I and I and I rapped Christian music and I did all these things. So I was always engaging in extroverted activities that were kind of in a sense fulfilling me. But I remember I would preach a message or teach the Bible and then after shortly I would have this real big low. And I used to not understand it, but I, it, it was basically me getting dopamine. I was getting prepared for a sermon or a preaching, and then I would get so excited, and then boom, um, I would preach. And then there's this underlying depression, underlying depression that kind of kicked in because when you go high in dopamine, uh, when it comes down, it goes below standard. So when it goes below standard, it can affect your mood really, really bad, and it would do that for me. And so that created a a very uh, a strong vulnerability in me personally so that I would feel like, okay, like I would, I would, you know, find some kind of, I I needed some kind of pleasure. So the only way I could really find pleasure was maybe like in pornography, um, in, in trying to elicit sex within my relationship before marriage, um, doing stuff like that to try and get that, that, to climb my way back up out of that darkness that I felt from just acting in an extroverted way and not understanding. And so I had, I, I was working out too, and I was going to the gym. So I had some uh, formalized balance of all of that. You know, I, I, I had some way that I was working through it and I was, I was trusting in God's grace and his favor and, but something still was wrong and I didn't understand it. And because I couldn't put words to it, uh, when tragedy started striking, especially when my dad went missing, especially when relationships failed, especially when relationships didn't work out, and um, and when I lost my status in society as a preacher, as a person, uh, a man of God, a prayer warrior, someone who people could rely on for spiritual things, um, because I'm an extrovert, I get charged up socially. So it was like I lost all that. So I went deeper into this hole than I ever been. And um, I'm partially kind of like, I'm a little bit above average in neuroticism, but I'm not like super high in it. Um, I'm more high in the sub trait, which is called withdrawal. So what would end up happening is that when I would, when I would come short of like being what I knew I should be for God, I would withdraw. So I would kind of lean into my behavioral inhibition system. I would pull back and then in turn, that depression would kick in my serotonin would lower because remember the behavioral inhibition system if you're high in neuroticism your serotonin is probably low and that creates a challenge because that serotonin is the conductor that 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 helps basically moderate or not moderate that's not the right word um it helps organize your moods a conductor with the orchestra right he got he has the I don't know what the stick is called, but he has a stick in his hand and he's waving it back and forth and he, and, and everybody knows the cues all. And so what ends up happening is when the serotonin is lowered due to my high extroversion and then my high withdrawal, right? I would want to run, escape, go. And that's the behavioral inhibition system activating is escaping. So if you are similar to me, you'll relate with these experiences. And if you're not, if you have, if, let's just say you're, 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 you're middle extrovert, you're middle 
neurotic that you're not going to really have so much of this experience. You might have minor bouts of it, like spouts of it or, or, or experiences of it, but you're not going to have the entire experience. So this is my personality. And then putting me in a religious context where I'm actually, um, I have a skill set that I was almost in a sense born with, uh, gifts given by God to be a speaker, to be a, uh, to be a musical person, to do really extroverted things like talk to people and help people and initiate prayer for people. I would initiate most of my help. I would initiate it. So it wasn't like people were coming to me. I would go hunting. I would go, I would go hunting is probably not, not the best word, but I would go looking, seeking, right? And that's part of the extroverted uh, tendency is exploration, right? You're, you're out there looking, 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 seeking, 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 and then that incentive reward, it's like when people were brought to the Lord or people were baptized, it's what's happening in you if you're an extrovert is your, your, your dopamine system's involved in your Christianity. It's not, it's not inactive. It's active in your, in your world, right? So when you think about your extroversion being active in your world, you have to understand that it's like, well, how do you, how do you control this then? How do you get this under under control, especially like if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who's trusting in God and believes the Bible, right? How do you get something like this under control? Because this causes trauma. And if you're not aware of what's happening in you, and, and let's just say you don't have to have all the scientific words. It can be simple. It can be very, very simple. It's, it's, it's your, you have, you put yourself out there, doesn't work out, sit down. You withdraw, and then somehow, somewhere along the line, there might be a tendency in us to blame the environment. It's the environment. It's the people. It's this. It's that. Because when you don't have words for it, you don't know how to assign proper responsibility for what's happening. Okay? And... When you don't know how to assign proper responsibility to, for what's happening, what ends up happening is whatever tendencies your environment has helped you, um, however your environment has helped shape these traits, will then help put some kind of formulation of words to it that is, in a sense, maybe base or more primal, where it's like, the last thing you're going to do is blame yourself, right? But reality is, it's like, this is me. I'm causing my own problems. And then I'm showing up to a church world where nobody understands this, right? Everyone's just looking at me as angel or as this particular person. And I'm suffering immensely and nobody knows and I don't know. And all I can do is blame. So I, I started to build this underlying resentment. And that underlying resentment you know, when my dad went missing, it, it unhinged me because I stopped. I, I, I broke out of the cycle of, of letting my society or letting, letting society help regulate me and check me so that I'm not too much. Because as an extrovert, I'm going to be too much, especially as a 99 percentile. It's natural for me to just be intense, to be, to be fired up, to be, to be, but I go through the the cycle of being also semi-neurotic. So my withdrawal is really high and I, I end up pulling back and it looks something like, man, this guy's unstable. You know, the cool thing is that I register low in volatility. So 
it was it made sense that I was able to last 11 years as a Bible teacher, a minister, and then a preacher. But then um, it, it became overwhelming when I started going through uh, personal tragedies, even at my level of understanding in life, that it affected me even more than I wanted it to. And so when you think about personality, there's, you know, three more major traits, but uh I won't go into those traits, but I'm because because I'm I want to focus on these two just to help you understand your personality and how it causes trauma. Is there was times in my life where my nutrition was good, so I went I was on like a paleo diet, and the paleo diet was cool because um, I didn't know this till recently, but the paleo diet is really one of the best diets to help regulate hormones, and I and I mean this sincerely. And um, there's tons of research out there. You know, the food pyramid is wrong. If you haven't, if you don't know that yet, the food pyramid is wrong, where it emphasizes more carbohydrates. Um, no, it's it's more meats, fruits, vegetables, nuts, eggs. Like like those are all the, all the foods that help with your hormonal regulation are in that category, or in those categories, you know. And then I even got to a point where I was bodybuilding super intense, and then I became almost like body dysmorphic, where I. I, I I started seeing my body in parts and I didn't like my body. So I kept trying to like, like, okay, like I'm going to work out this hard and I'm going to bodybuild and I'm going to do this. And, and I could never change my body. It was so hard for me. And, and it was more my vision of my body because when I was in relationships and I was, you know, uh, um, I guess in a sense, fornicating and stuff. And I would, I would be super insecure and I would be like, I would I would ask my partner, hey, can you look at my body? Like, is my body okay? And and is it enough for you? And is it this? And is it that? It was a just super insecure thinking, and and it's what drove me to actually uh, have more than one partner. It, it, it because like I needed more validation, you know, and it was it was devastating to me because it was never enough, and so my my moods were all over the place when i when i wasn't on this diet because i remember being on that on that paleo lifestyle diet and that was probably the best i've ever felt physically but the thing is it's like i was overstressing myself out in the gym too so i was raising my cortisol and that was really causing me problems and i didn't understand it because i ended up retaining more water and and i didn't feel i didn't feel healthy being a bodybuilder and lifting heavy and doing all these things. Um, but, you know, so now I've regulated my life to where like, I only, I go to the gym probably five times a week. Um, I, I do one warm up and then two sets of 20 for each body part, chest, uh, shoulders, back, abs, quads, hamstrings. So that's pretty much legs. Uh, biceps and triceps, you know, so I'm I'm just focused on the major muscle groups. And my body's just already taking shape without all the intensity. So it, it's so interesting that my extroversion always made me think I had to do more than I had to do to get where I wanted to be. I was driven biologically that like, it's a survival thing. It's like, like, okay, if I don't, if I'm not accepted by people, you know, and it, it it really had more to do with being accept accepting myself, right? Um, but it, it it's it's a tendency of an extrovert to be to 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 need the social charge up, right? We want the social charge up. It's we're throwing out incentive rods, right? And then we're hoping we get rewarded for being who we are. 
That's what it what an extrovert ends up kind of acting like and acting in that way, which is appropriate to a certain extent because we need to be socialized. We need other people to tell us where we're wrong, where we've crossed the line. It and when we uh, an extroverted tendency is to live above that. Um, is is I think I don't know if it's exactly above it, but sometimes it's it's when we are held accountable it makes us feel like we're socially unaccepted. And so we can have a tendency to withdraw, especially if you're neurotic. You know, if you're not as neurotic, but you're conscientious, meaning you're orderly and industrious, right? You you have a, a, a you're organized and then and you have a strong work ethic um, and you, you hate inactivity, but you're also an extrovert. Like that seems to be like a very uh, extroversion. And that seems to be very well together because what conscientiousness does is organize um, the personality because what ends up happening when you are an extrovert you feel like you have multiple personalities it feels like that sometimes and there's a difference between multiple personality disorder and then there's a and and what what is known in psychology as biological motivations and those motivations can be looked at as sometimes they use words like spirits so there's multiple complex spirits inside of us with complexity wrapped around them. So it's not just, oh, extroversion. No, it's extroversion tied in with a bunch of other things, right? They kind of make it its own unique, like say I'm I'm creative. I, I have high abstract intelligence. So that if I'm super creative and, and I abstract really high, so my, my, create, my, my creativity is gonna be very complex. My processes are gonna be very complex. My extroversion is gonna be very complex because High abstract individuals don't A to B things. They don't say, okay, A, B, done. That's a low abstract method. That's how low people who abstract, uh, who have low abstraction intelligence, uh, of it, low abstract intelligence will basically just A to B things. People with high will have to have an extra step in implementing actions. So I'm, I'm abstracting, 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 basically ripping apart the world, taking facts, right? Trying to find the answer and and seeing if what is happening is true or what is said is true, and then you end up, you can get lost in this pretty fast, right? This abstracting. Um, and so you never get to implementation. And so people that are high in abstract intelligence have a low, uh, have, a, have a, I wouldn't say low, but have a, have a trouble implementing because there's an extra step involved. It's A, C, B E F G H I J K L N L P Q R S T U V W X Y and Z back to B. And if if everything worked out, then you can come back to B and then you can implement actions. But if it doesn't, and and for some people this happens fast. For me, it happens really fast. I can do this really fast. Um, I've always been aware of it. But I've never had words for it. So I'm abstracting and I'm extroverted, so it's you have a tendency to be highly impulsive. Um, I think all humans are sexual, but I think extroverts express their sexuality much different. So think about it. You have maybe a young a young person like me who's 14, um, high in abstraction. If I skip the step of implementing my conclusions, right, in a simplified manner, um, what ends up happening is I get lost in the clouds and I'm stuck with my impulsivity the the extroverted tendency is incentive reward right so it's like i'm okay okay how can i line something up 
uh, for pleasure. It, it, it's like that's kind of what ends up happening. Is for, it's a high focus on pleasure. It's a high focus on 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 pleasures of, in from a Christian perspective of this world. So you have people you're like, well, just control yourself. It doesn't work that way. You 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 have to have some form of understanding, and this is why it's important for us as uh, believers, if you're a believer, um, to really take the time to understand yourself. And you may not understand it in a high abstracted way, like like me. This is I have to do this. This is this is how I understand things, and I have to also integrate the step of implementing my conclusions as a part of my life. So what I've done is I'm low in conscientiousness. I'm not that high, so. I don't, I'm not as organized as most, as people that are high in conscientiousness and conscientiousness really, really, you can understand that as order. You look, you look, look at the world around you. Everything is created by conscientious people, order, structure, square, symmetry, right? That's what ends up happening. And so now I'm low in it. I'm like middle. I'm not low, but I'm middle. So, and I'm high in extroversion. So what I end up having to do to help myself, this is to help myself. You know, Bible says, encourage yourself in the Lord. And this is how I encourage myself. I have to organize myself. I have to go through my day and write down how I want my days to look or else I am a ball of chaos. And so if you relate with this, if you feel like you're a ball of chaos, one of the things you can do is organize yourself. If your life is about 30% organized and you're an extrovert, you need to organize it to 40 and then grow it to 50, then grow it to 60, get up to about 80%. And that will give you some predictability because it's going to be hard to orient yourself in the world, to put yourself, uh, uh, to show up properly in the world, right? Because inevitably, what's the goal? Outside of like, our own uh subjective goals things that are just important to us particularly the goal the goal is to be a good person the goal is to be able to be competent and show up to multiple situations as your best self and how are you going to do that well not everybody has to do the same things you have to understand your personality and then you have to organize your life appropriately to help mitigate the damage of what your personality is doing and then capitalize on the strengths so if if my strength is public speaking or 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 being a communicator or being creative or or let's just say being social enough to not even I don't get nervous uh performing or preaching I don't or teaching in front of people people I don't know I don't get nervous and people I always trip out on people like hey you know they would say like don't you get nervous and I'm that's because they're different than me their personality is different. So maybe they're more introverted, right? And an introvert is just less sensitive to positive emotion. Sometimes they're even killed and you'll be like, what's wrong? And there's nothing wrong. They're just, they're okay with being, you know? So it just depends the combination of traits and how they work. But when you get into the Bible and like serving God and showing up to a religious institution of any kind or a church or, uh, you know, whatever the denomination is, um, the different denominations kind of almost have group personalities, right? Because they kind of have an overall, um, if you think about like apostolic Pentecostals, like the, the actual, like um, that's, I went to school at a Pentecostal, uh, a UPCI Pentecostal church, uh, school, and 
that, they're super conscientious as a group. You look at them, how they dress. They preach conscientiousness in essence wrapped around the gospel because that's more of the traits that um, align in, in, in that circle of, of people. That aligns more with what they know as the Bible, right? So they find that it, it's, 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 it's taking the Bible and regulating personality and, and having order and structure. And then you have these people that are like, yeah, I can never do that. I can never like dress like that. I can never, right? And there's not that there's something wrong with these people because oftentimes because of our personality differences, we'll judge that group of people and say, that's too much. That's religion. That's this. But you'll see if you go in there, there's quite a bit of people that are actually really enjoy it. And then you have the other side, right, within, within Christianity where people aren't so, they're more, you know, willing to have more of like, they're more like entrepreneurs in a way, right? Where, where, where people are, are outgoing and everything, they kind of dress however they want. There's a lot more chaos going on and people are just kind of more of themselves, quote unquote. Um, and, and you got to know the difference between being yourself and then also like honoring God. There's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm talking about with the personality. It's like your personality is regulating how you show up to the world. And if you don't believe that, most people vote their temperament. And if you get down to the details, it even gets more accurate in line that people vote their temperament. So uh, uh, certain groups of, of Christianity can be attractive to different groups of different people, right? Because people have different personalities, but personality in itself is still within a spectrum of existence. So it's like personality, uh, it's not like, uh, everybody exists within the spectrum, but everybody, nobody is the same within that spectrum. People just have different sensitivities to different things. And then you include environment and you can see how environment can reshape some of those tendencies, make them worse or make them better, help you improve, right? Maybe I don't want to be so extrovert. Maybe I need to be a little more relaxed. And, and it's going to take time though. It takes time for someone to to learn how to organize themselves so then you get more conscientious and then you organize your extroversion to be more efficient, not just aimlessly chaotic and impulsive. And then you become a little less extroverted to the point where it's more useful for good rather than your biological motivation controlling you. And that's something, biological motivation is something a Christian can equate as the flesh. It's the body in the it's the body uh, in the flesh dwells no good thing, right? So when you look at these things, you're going to be like, man, this is the no good thing. It's like I am supercharged up to the point of being impulsive. I am supercharged up to being uh, to the point of being depressed with negativity. Like it's without the Holy Spirit, and see, this is where God comes in, and this is the real important part: is that where God comes in is the spirit regulates personality. It's not like a miracle traditionally, like where you're like walking on water or um, like Jesus walking on water. Um, it's not exactly a healing, but it's, it's, it's that when you see Jesus and you experience him, right? There's a transformation. And then the word can also be uh, used like the same word is in Greek is uh, metamorpho. It's uh, transfiguration so when jesus went to the top of the mountain you know 
and and the voice of God says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased, hear him, right? And then the light shines on his face um, so that when he experiences God, he leaves with the radiance of the experience of God so that he is more to mankind, God-like to the people. So in the, in the same essence, that's what happens to us is that we have our personality, we have our awareness, and if we use our awareness to regulate our personality, to bring us in front of God through prayer, God can shine his light on your personality so that it's transfigured to be more like him. And I like the transfiguration idea because um, the transfiguration idea is that God is doing it to you. It's not that you do it yourself, right? So it's trusting by faith that if you come before God and present this this flesh, this body, this personality, this thing that's causing you all this heartache, um, and you present it to God, it's like, it's God who, who, who puts his lifeline in you, where he is the vine, we are the branches, we're just dead wood without him, right? So he brings the branch to life, he's the lifeline, and the fruit comes from the lifeline, it's the vine. So we're just the branch, and when we understand that, our, our personality is subsided, and the Holy Spirit is able to enact itself through us to the world so that people, when they perceive us, they perceive the God in us, not our personality. So this is what becomes important for a believer is understanding yourself because when you don't understand yourself, you are going to incur experiences of trauma. And see, the behavioral inhibition system activates on, on, on something like fear. So when you're afraid, right? So that's more of the neurotic tendency, being sensitive to negative emotions. So people who are really, really, really um, neurotic can end up with phobias and, and quite, a, quite a number of other things. So there's the external output of things that make you afraid, right? And then there's the, there's the charge up internally of the behavior motivation that already exists so that when you encounter things that make you afraid and they actually um, are in your environment close enough to actually execute something that could potentially damage you or that even the, the perceived idea that something could hurt you could activate the neurotic tendency, reduce your serotonin, reduce your mood, bring you out of the Holy Spirit, put you into the flesh, and you're left with the fear because you don't have God on your side. You immediately go into fight, freeze, or flight mode, right? It's fight, freeze, or flight mode, and you go into that mode, and then you enact based on the biological motivation because your consciousness almost becomes numb. God is tuned out, and that behavioral motivation kicks in. And that's why, you know, Paul says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. You know, and it's it's like I want to do good, but something in me is is pulling me to do something different, and so that fear response. Uh, you know, the Bible. I think there's a that common saying, right? There's the Bible says, uh, "Do not fear" three hundred and sixty five times, and and it's one for every day because it's important that you don't live off fear. But the only way to do that is to understand that first of all, Jesus died for all of this personality, right? Every, every, every damaging aspect of my personality, potentially damaging to myself and to other people, um, can be redeemed 
okay? And it's not redeemed where this, this flesh goes into eternity. The consciousness does. The spirit, the spirit inside of us does. So, but redeemed in the sense that while you're on earth, God, his spirit can help mitigate the damage you're doing to yourself and others. And a lot of that is regulated by your, your threat detection system. And if it's overcharged, guess what happens? You end up acting in that behavioral motivation, that sub-spirit. Because it's not just one thing. It's a multiplicity of things. And then that affects, your, that, that affects you physiologically where it's like your, your serotonin drops, your dopamine can go out of whack, your, 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 you go into a, into a chaos and then you don't know how to get out. And so it becomes that, that simple. But it's also not that simple. You see what I'm saying? It, because it's like you can break them all down into different parts, but all the parts are still integrated together. So it's this really holistic thing that's happening um, in just one moment, right? And so when you're in fear, um, let's just say, let's, let's go back to the Jesus dying on the cross part because Jesus dies on the cross for you and I, for all, you know, this we're all sinners. So he dies for all mankind. So we can tap into that forgiveness, that grace. It's an undeserved favor. So we know that God is on our side. So then here's the cool part about showing up to church and, and or showing up to to a Bible study where, where God is talked about, right? Is that when you understand that God is on your side, it can help replace. You can't you can't remove fear. Okay. You can't just remove it and put nothing there. Something has to replace it. And then that's the the belief that God is on my side. And, and and trusting so you have that faith element and that's more associated probably with your consciousness if you really think about it it's not really a, a biological motivation it's more a consciousness uh an aspect of consciousness the, the ability to believe to transcend physical reality into into ascent into something that's beyond what we know and what we're able to see touch feel beyond the senses and so we're able to have faith in god and god is able to transform us in that moment. So believing he's on our side, having faith in that, like tr in the truest sense, right? It's not just this mental ascent. It's this, it's this thing that you are consciously saying, okay, what I'm afraid of doesn't align with God's plan for me. And so it's almost like a faith logic. So what God's plans for is for me supersedes what I feel and what I'm afraid of. And then it, it can supplant, right? And then that's why another fruit of the spirit is self-control. So it's like, you're an extrovert, you're impulsive. It's like the self-control can supplant. If you get what I'm saying. So there is fruits of the spirit. The spirit of God can actually supplant, meaning take out or I guess impute, imputes maybe a better word, where God will impute to you self-control, patience, meekness, kindness, joy, long-suffering, temperance, against such there's no law. There's no rules for people like that because when you're acting in the, in the manners of, of the Holy Spirit um, and you've, you've subjected yourself to God and to his word and to, believe, and to, to believing that his way is the right way, what ends up happening to your personality is it's transformed 
And so that that inhibition system can then be overridden by the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. So I know some of this, you know, I can be a little everywhere in, in some aspects of this, but I think the overall um, point is made, right? So when you think about your personality, you, you got to understand that your personality is part of what's causing you problems. And it's can be also looked at as the flesh, but this is all one. You're talking about biology, right? The, the physical body, the, 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 the chemicals, the hormones, the, the brain, the, the neurotransmitters, the, the hormones, et cetera, et cetera, right? You're talking about psychology, the thought processes, the psyche, how it works, and, and, and the natural conclusions um, that, that are in the spectrum of what humans can conclude from their thinking, right? Because we've seen the spectrum. We've seen malevolence, and we've seen people be benevolent, which is evil and good, right? We've seen people act in both ways and manners in life, and we've seen people do both from the same person. So it's important to understand that personality, that a personality that isn't understood will still act its behavioral primal motivation that's regulated by the consciousness, but the consciousness can only do so much. So it has to be regulated by something external. And this is where the answer and solution is. Like we're talking about organizing if you're an extrovert, really having more organization, right? But it's external. So the food you eat, your workout routine, your your re, your writing routine. Are you writing? Because what you write will will become more solidified into how you think. So what are you writing? What are you reading? There's there's inputs from the external world that you can do. Like you're if you're in a stressful mode, jump in a cold shower. Are you getting enough sunlight? You know, God created the sun for you to go out and, and get some sunlight and, and you need to go out and get sunlight. If you're not waking up in the morning and getting some sunlight at some point in the morning, your 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 melatonin is going to still be producing. So you need sunlight to stop the production of melatonin in your body so that you can you can be more awake and more alert. So it's things like that. You're drinking too much caffeine so that your serotonin over the course of time is lowered so that you you have no control over your moods. So what you what you put in your body, how you organize your life matters because you can organize yourself in a way that helps mitigate. And this is this is this is why the Bible's so useful because the Bible doesn't go through this this scientific abstraction. For some people, it's unnecessary, and it truly can be unnecessary because some people can just take God at His word and and they're maybe low in abstract intelligence and then snap boom let's just say they're high in conscientiousness so they're very productive already low in abstract intelligence i mean that might that might lead to someone being able to just really all god has to say is hey don't lie and they're like okay well don't lie it's that simple there's no complexity around it for them you know or love your wife as christ loved the church okay let me see how christ loved the church gave his whole life for it okay that's how i'm gonna love my wife simple done there's no complexity to it. But then people with higher abstract intelligence are like kind of like, well, how does that really look? You know, <laughs> you know, and then the implementation from there gets very difficult. So, but understanding is like you have to, and that's why 
who you're around matters, your community, because those are the people that are going to help regulate you and hold you accountable to being what they think you should be or what you, if you're like, have really good friends, they'll, they'll help hold you accountable to what you think you should be in tandem with having something like the Bible give you a guide, right? Because you don't know it in yourself. We're not that smart. As smart as you, we think we are, we're not that smart. It's, 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 a, it's the book that can help guide in the simplest forms. Hey, we can be this evil. So that's, that's when you look at the Bible and you see all the bad in it. Well, it has blood and this has this and that. A lot of people get bent out of shape about that. And it's like, well, that's you. That's you and I. That's, that's what that's saying is that that's our potential if we're untamed. Okay. And then when you get, when you get past that and you get to like salvation and you get to, uh, um, fasting, prayer, how you should act, uh, being compassionate, being loving, being kind, you know, a lot of these things that the Bible are, are asking the believer to do. What does that do in turn? That's sometimes a very low abstract way of just being, hey, you don't need to know all the details all the time, but here's how you can act. And, and here's what will happen when you act this way and you'll be blessed and you'll prosper. And so then you prosper because you enacted what was said. But the problem is sometimes is that we get, we get too caught up in abstract intelligence and our abstract intelligence and we want to rip it apart too much to the point where we're where it becomes, there's no utilization, there's no utility to what the Bible's saying to us. But there's always utility in the Bible because the Bible is much more simpler um, than meets the eye. So this is how I've kind of been navigating my personality. It may not be for you, but if you find value in this, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and yeah. I mean, I, I'd be glad to talk to you, um, point you, point you in, in directions that may be able to help you if you feel like at, uh, a little bit of, if you, if you don't really understand yourself yet, you know, because understanding yourself is key to mitigating the damage you will do to yourself, the trauma that you will experience from your own personality. Now, we'll, we'll save this for another talk, but there is actual trauma, and I say actual because because it's actually, you, you encounter something that takes you away from the reality that you know, right? Something terrible happens. You encounter evil and it's malevolent and it's, and it's, and then you have a dissociation where you no longer can live in the world you used to live in. Well, you know, and that's things like sexual abuse or, or, or things could be like, um, you know, when, when, Military men are at war and they see things out there in different countries and it traumatizes them because they knew the world to be one way and, and they become disassociated by that event and, and their inhibition system activates to an extreme and it creates a harsh memory to the point where they're unable to rectify that memory. And so part, part of solving that is, is first putting more words to it, but we won't get into that today in particular. I'm talking more about the actual trauma that comes from your own personality that can be resolved with just having a right understanding of your own self, okay? 
So hopefully this is helpful. Um, you know, we, we really we really ran through some theology. We've ran through some biology. We've ran through some psychology, um, a little bit of neuroscience and uh, hormones, nutrition, fitness. I mean, it all plays a role, right? Social Social communities, like it all plays a role in helping you get this under control. So, um, you know, I pray God blesses you. I pray you stay encouraged. And I pray this is uh, something that maybe you can play back a few times and uh, really take something out of it. So I'll be doing more like this. And yeah, have a great day. And uh, I, I, I really, 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 really feel excited about um, doing more of these podcasts moving forward because I'm really getting a sound understanding of of humans, you know, and it's and it's beautiful because we're gonna really be able to help people. And and the first thing for me though is starting with myself. So I'm I'm implementing all the stuff I'm talking to you about. I'm in, I'm in, I'm doing it. I'm living it myself. So um, how that looks for me is I wake up at three in the morning. Um, I go work. You know, I need to be productive. That That's just something in me that I need to do. So I need to be productive. Not all biological motivations are uh, completely uh, going to send you, you know, to hell in essence. So, you know, I'm, I'm semi-high in industriousness. So that means, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I d mostly don't like inactivity. I got to be doing something, you know. So for me, I need to be up early working um I wake up super positive, so my extroversion is right there when I wake up. Um, I wake up super just happy-go-lucky. Um, and then some of the first things I do is work. Then I go to the gym. Um, I'm doing, you know, short bouts of super intense work. And, and that also helps um, get control of, like, the, the inhibition system, like the fear. Um, so... I'm 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 really really being precise about how I'm doing this, and um, it, it almost seems like oh you might then this guy has a boring life you know I I go to bed early, so I I go to the gym, uh, I go back to work I study, I go back to work I study some more just different categories through the day, and um, you know I have clients so I'm working with people on on their personality and their fitness and nutrition. So it's, it's, it, and it's very structured. It's, it's getting closer to 80%. And I'm very, very happy about that. And honestly, it's like, this is the best I've felt in my entire life. And nothing is perfect. <laughs> you know, and there's still the, the chaos that is, you know, uh, my life, you know, someone we know in my family, uh, close to my family recently passed away. Um, um, lots of different things have happened. But overall, it's like, it's like, I'm now able to have more uh, awareness of what is happening inside of me. And a lot of that is being regulated by external controls and it's beautiful and it's helpful. But the part that hurts is those old habits. They're, they're those old ideas about who I was and what I need to be. And, and they have to die and that's painful. That's a painful part of the process. Um, and that's gonna be the hardest part of implementing any kind of new structure in your life. Is that is that who you who you thought you should be sometimes has to die or parts of it at least um, so that a new you can be reborn and and that's why you know it, it's so it's so beautiful like the death burial resurrection you know is is something that God wants to put us through daily and I don't mean that like 
literally, I just mean that allegorically, like we are to die. We let those old thoughts die and, and be reborn anew. And this will actually help retool your brain to having a higher quality life. And yeah, let's let's keep this going. And uh, again, this is the Religious Trauma Podcast with Angel Sanchez. And we'll talk soon. I'll be back on here.